He is a 20-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier, a two-time Bassmaster Angler of the Year. From Gunnersville, Alabama, the incomparable G-Man Gerald Swindle joins me this week on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks, humpers. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Welcome into the 143rd edition of the Mercer Podcast and the second one in 2024. I hope all is going well with you guys. And uh, if not, hopefully this show can be a bit of a distraction from the the, the real things going on in the world. Because... because. The world got real this week, really, let's be honest. And I'm not going to get too deep, but what I mean is like last week, we were all kind of half in and half out. Um, I mean, if you had kids, they were still out of school and you were still like, it's kind of festive, but it's kind of new year, new me. And now you're all in. So back at work and uh, back to the grind, as they say. But as my wife always tells me, you don't have to, you get to. It's a good way of looking at things. Um, big announcement here today. But before we talk about the big announcement, I want to talk about you guys. You guys have built this show to what it is, and I thank you for that. I thank you uh, for the support. As I always say, whether you're listening on YouTube, I mean, the time you take to like it, the time you take to make a comment, even if the comment is just a thumbs up, I thank you because that allows us to stroke the algorithm. And I appreciate you helping me stroke the algorithm because a happy algorithm is a happy podcast. And uh, it's not just YouTube. Those of you listening on streaming services, I've never leaned on you guys a lot. But over the festive season, I was realizing we get an incredible amount of plays and streaming services, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I mean, more people watch this show on streaming services than watch it on YouTube. Way more. Um, but we don't have a lot of reviews. So do me a favor. Make sure you rate and review it. And that's it. I won't bug you for it for, for a little while anyways. Let's move on. And before we move on, let's look back at last week's show. I got to thank Rick Clun. What an incredible show. Anytime you get an opportunity to get inside that man's mind, which is marvelous, is a gift, I believe. I, I believe the more time we can talk to Rick Clun, the more... I mean, and I said that in the podcast, but literally he is... Somebody who I walk away from him always wanting more because the way he answers questions and and the way he thinks of things is truly marvelous. And it's something that we can all learn from. I feel like after last week's podcast, I I not only became a better angler, but I became a better person because of our discussion. And and it, you know, that's that's what Rick is. Rick is a gift to this industry, and it's hard to believe. He's fishing his 50th season this year. But if you enjoyed last week, um, I, I know I did. And, and, and with that, we have a very, very special announcement. There's part of me that um, is confused. I never, you know, sometimes I'll ask things and just expect the answer to be no. Um, and then when it's yes, I'm like, wait a second, how did that happen? Well, this is one of those situations the big announcement that I have teased on social media 
for those of you that follow me on social media. We are going to have our very first ever podcast residency. And what I mean by that, for those who don't know residency, whether you're a comedian, whether you're a, a, a musical performer, whatever, a residency is when you do a long extended gig in Vegas often. Well, we're not Vegas. We're just a podcast. And for the first time, we're going to have a podcast residency. That is right. We're going to have each and every month of 2024 or until he gets sick of doing it. <laughs> In his 50th season of competition, we're going to have Rick Klun on once a month for the entire year of his 50th season of competition. And um, I, I couldn't be happier about that. I mean, it's going to be amazing. It's not going to be full-length shows. We're going to do 20 to 30-minute conversations about all sorts of different topics that allow us to dig a little deeper on some of the stuff that we talked we're going to get updates on how his season's going, how he's feeling, how all of that. I mean, it's just going to be, I mean, I'm and, and the rest of the show doesn't change. We're still going to have long form conversations with four guests a month, but at the first week of every single month, we will have the clun chronicles or whatever name we come up with. Speaking of which, let's play the name game. You guys can help me name them. What 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 should it be called? What should Rick Clun's residency on this podcast be called? If you have any ideas, let me know in the comments. But um, working title, let's call it Clun Chronicles. So the first week of every single month, we will be doing these Rick Clun uh, in-depth conversations. And uh, I'm excited about it. And more importantly, he's excited about it. I mean, for those of you that don't know Rick, doesn't do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, he's going to start doing a lot more of it, and he's going to be doing it here each and every month. And and uh, I think it's public, but it will be soon. Rick Klein is actually going to start a podcast. That's right. He is going to start his own podcast. We're going to help him get there, and you can count on him being here each and every month. First week of every month, we will have... 20 to 30 minutes, and then we'll get into our regular guest of that week. And um, I couldn't be more excited about it. I hope you guys are too. So um, hopefully we can come up with a name. So yeah, that's the big news, which I think is is huge. Um, it's not the big news that most people are sharing this week. It seems like every sponsor in professional angling is either announcing leaving a long-term sponsor or, or signing with a new one. And, and often it's the same person, just a day apart. One announcement, I'm out and done there. And the next day, I'm here. Hello. Um, but our announcement is pretty legit. Rick Clun will be doing a residency on this podcast every single month for his 50th season of competition. So thank you very much, Rick Clun. Um, I appreciate you... Uh, agreeing to do that i was going to have rick on to announce it but then i figured i'll probably say something screw it up and it won't happen so i just announced it myself we have a great guest here this week though and it seems like a bit of a tradition we kind of kick off the new year with him quite often he's one of the first few shows every single year and and with good reason because uh the world needs a little more pma positive mental attitude and if you are a Gerald Swindle fan, you know all about that. 
And um, see, here's the thing about G. The amazing thing about Swindle to me is, sure, he's hilarious. Sure, he's a mega accomplished angler. But I, I feel like Gerald Swindle has evolved in front of our very eyes. Like, if you look at some of the videos and things that he's doing now, he is not only making people laugh, but he is literally affecting people's lives at some of the darkest, toughest times in their life. Um, he's just being very real and very honest. And And if you ask me, one of the coolest things in life is how people evolve, how people change, you know, how people look back at 10, 20 years ago and are like, that was a totally different person. And I think Gerald Swindle's one of those people. And and I consider myself lucky to have seen a lot of the sides of G. I mean, we all have different sides that you get to see, you don't get to see. I mean, in every walk of life, whether whatever your profession is. And G is an incredibly giving and caring person. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that in his social media. And um, there isn't a tournament that goes by that I don't have somebody come up asking for him. And then they break off into a story telling me about how he helped his family or how he did this or that. Well, thank you, G, for being the person you are. Thank you, G, for being this week's guest. And I think what you guys will find is, is this, this podcast... I always say it's just a conversation. I always say that the angler takes it in whatever direction they want. Sometimes it is pure hilarity, and sometimes you want to weep. But this is a deeper, more real G than, than most people are used to seeing, and I hope you enjoy it because I know I did. Without further ado, let's... Let's... Well, let's let's just bring him in. I mean, I was trying to think of a word. For, I you, you'd think somebody that speaks for a living would be better at speaking, but evidently, I am not. Without further ado, from Gunnersville, Alabama, the incomparable G-man, Gerald Swindle. Gerald Swindle, we've just had um, a wonderful conversation that if I had had record on, would have made a great podcast. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! How you, how are the Canadians doing? Good. All is good. It's not very cold here this year. Um, lakes are still wide open. We had them frozen for like a day. And um, so, yeah, weather's probably going to hit right around the time I start traveling to Bassmaster events. But it's it's unseasonably warm for Canada this time of year, but probably freezing cold in Alabama terms. It is. It was it's 28 here today. Uh, big frost. And it's only going to get up to like 46 kind of windy. So that's cold to us. That's cold. Like an all day in the forties, like we don't get that a lot. Most of the time we'll hit 55, 58 during the day. But I'm like you, as soon as we start on fishing tour, it it'll get cold. It's it'll coming. Cold. It's coming fast, dude. It'll be here very, very soon. Tell me about your holidays. What are the holidays like in the Swindle household? It's uh, pretty hectic. Uh, you know, um Xanax would be good sometimes. We we have, you know. We have a lot of kids in a small house. We go, uh, we love, we love Christmas. My mom and dad, uh, they live in a smaller house. We go down there and it's pretty, pretty quiet at my mom and dad's, but I mean, just outside my dad can't hear any talks real loud, but we go to Leanne's mom and dad and we have grandkids and kids and dogs and it's loud and Christmassy and fun. But like when it's over, I'm like, okay, I need to sit down for a minute. You know, Christmas is overwhelming. And like, I'm weird on Christmas. Like the last eight or 10 years, Christmas is, I don't want to say depressing to me, but it ain't, it ain't, it's a weird time for me. 
Like I just, I, I sit at Christmas and I think back when I was a kid and just getting a gift and how much it meant. And now you get to Christmas and it's so commercialized and it's not about, you really, really not about people anymore. It's about what I could get for Dave to, to outdo the next guy or this guy. And I'm like, you know what? I just kind of just missed that Christmas feeling where you just went in your mom's house. You could smell things cooking and it was the big hugs. And you're just glad everybody was home. But now it's like Christmas around the world. You see people, it's just a rush. And I was telling in and I'm like, Christmases are laid out where everything's on a schedule. I got to be here at 11. We're going to be there from 11 to 1230. We got to get to this house by one. This one's uh baby mom. I got to come get the kids. So we got to be here by three. And I'm like, I feel like Christmas is more than the elite schedule. You know, so sometimes I just like a simple Christmas. So it's a weird time for me. I get that. I get that. It, it definitely is a little out of control. It's a little um, out of control. We, and funny enough at our house, we bought, um, the big gift at our house was a trip we're taking with our kids at the end of this month, you know? Um, and, and honestly, as a dad, there was part of me that was like, uh, you know, cause there's a lot of kids would grow up and be like, well, yeah, if we're going on a trip. That's what we do. We're a family. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they don't, I mean, I never looked at my parents and felt that, but they're, they're so excited so, about that. But that to me made me feel good that, that they, you know, experiences are what everyone remembers. I mean, I don't remember one good Christmas, like, you know, uh, did you lose me? Hello? I mean, how come it worked fine when we weren't recording? Did I come back? You're back. Are you back? Yeah, I don't know what happened. How come it worked fine when we weren't recording? Oh, crap. And then when we talked about Santa Claus, it quit working. Quit working. But at least your family trip, though, man, that's a Christmas gift that you won't forget. Yeah. Yeah. It. Uh, but I get what you're coming from. It, it does get a little crazy. It does get a little well, out of control. You want kids to be grateful. And I guess that's just a part of going older. You know, when you see kids just tearing a present after present after present, you're like, you wonder if, like, we're not setting a good example. Like, we should open one at a time and be grateful. Yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It, um, Because, I mean, I saw a video before Christmas that was floating around. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a father walking into, like, the living room. And it was like, you know, they had three or four kids. And there's piles of gifts, like the entire floor is full of gifts. And he just walked in. He's like, what? So nobody got anything else? Like in the whole freaking world, we got all the Christmas gifts. They're all right here in our living room. And yep. you do see people just pile, burn through it. But um, so the fact that we're having this conversation, does this mean we're getting old, G? I, or I wise? Think, I, I think we're older and wiser. I think our, our mindset of how we think. Because at 40, when I watch kids open presents like that, you're like, boy, they just have an old big time. You know, they just tear stuff up. But at 53, 54, you're like, okay, are we leading a great example by not showing appreciation? Not, not like one at a time and then saying, hey, thank you, grandma, or thank you, mama, for who bought this gift, you know? Because I think so many times it's all about Santa Claus and I don't think Santa Claus should have to bring all the gifts. I think the mom and dad should bring some of the gifts and then mom and dad should get the credit for it. You know, Santa Claus is getting all the credit sometimes. Let's just let Santa be responsible for a couple of gifts. We'll be responsible. Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa will be responsible for the eggs. And then you can say thank you. 
works for me. It's a simple way of thinking, but I'm like, maybe we're doing it all wrong. I've seen, I've just, over my years, man, Christmas is a weird time. I get that. I get that. Well, Happy New Year. One of the greatest gifts I get is you. Oh. <laughs> it, it, no, it really is, dude. Whether it's no weigh-in. You can't take me back. Yeah, there's no refund. <laughs> no, no, you really, you have no idea the gift you are, whether it's during a weigh-in. I'm like, you know, things can get monotonous. And I look on that computer and I'm three away from G and I'm like, we're going to make it. Uh, <laughs> or like, we'll oh, shoot a podcast. We don't have a plan. <laughs> like before we oh. started this, you're like, what is their topic? And I'm like, nothing. Perfect. It's nothing inside the industry. It's nothing but good. You know, we can't just be too bad, you know. Where is fishing at in today? Like, how well are we growing? Where where are we going? Where do you see it in five years? I mean, you have a different view on that stage than any other angler because you look at every crowd, you read every face. You work every sports show. Where does Dave Mercer, the face of bass fishing, think we're headed in five years? We headed in a good direction, mediocre direction. I think we're headed in a good direction in many, many ways. I think that that in the history of mankind, the one thing that wins throughout the world is youth. Youth always wins. So when right. you have us, if we had a sport, and and not too many years ago. There was people worried that there'd be no youth involved in this sport. Well, now there's more youth involved in than ever before. Um, so I think that that is a good thing. I think the growing pains that we've kind of faced going there, you know, I don't, I don't know that having a 500 boat team or, you know, high school championship, I don't know that that makes people want to be tournament anglers. No, <laughs> there might be as many of them leaving that that are like, I'm never, ever doing that again. Well, you hear, I mean, it, it happens. So you wonder, like, we built it so fast, like, with the youth, like, what do we do now? Do we go back in and, and reconstruct and say, hey, we got the participation, but we got to get control of it. We got to figure out how to channel this and, and how to uh, be cautious of the lake where we go and the kids and their time and their parents, because all parents want their kids to do something in life, you know, to be successful at something or participate whether it's t-ball, soccer, whatever, volleyball, you want your kids to participate if they want to. So we got parents that want their kids to participate. We just got to figure out now, or is it the the best experience for them? Where do you think the fishing world is going to be in five years, 10 years? I think years? we're going in, I think we, I'm right there with you. We have some really good positive direction, but I also think we, we've got, we're building some roadblocks that we're going to have to, uh, at least be mindful of that. Maybe we're creating things that we, we, there's no direction. When I say that, like I talk to sponsors who are getting proposals from high school kids that won their high school tournaments. They're asking for 25, 50 and $75,000. I'm like, so we got them fishing, but we didn't tell them nothing. You know, so we're going to eventually have to figure out now that we've got them on the water, how can we educate them through a classroom setting to say, what's your next step in fishing? Because those kind of deals, well, they're just not out there. I mean, there, there may be one in a thousand get a good deal, but it's somebody they usually know this just, yeah. but sending out a $50,000 proposal to sponsors uh, right out of high school. And, and 
I think the sponsor automatically sits back and goes, okay. You know, uh, I, I think we, I don't know what the answer is there. I don't know if we do. I don't know if bass should really look into an educational based program where they have a couple of pros come in and teach classroom setting business with, with high school anglers. Nobody ever talks about it, but I don't think it would be a bad idea. No. You know, uh, to have a representative from, say, we have Drew Benton from Georgia, you know, we have uh, somebody from Tennessee, somebody from Alabama, and they speak to these kids, have these group meetings where all the kids can you bring your cat and then have two or three guys. I mean, Carl Jockerson and I talked about trying to do one where we bring in 15 or 20 schools in this area and have a two or three hour meeting with them where we talk about the business side of it. You know, once, once you are successful here, guys, what's your next step? Because just saying that you caught them, that's not going to last. There's going to be a winner starting in February or before that in January, the open start, there's going to be a winner of a national event every other weekend. Yeah. So where do we differentiate? Where, where do we make this kid's business plan? Because I want to see them stay in it, but I see the road right now to stay in it is, it's pretty slippery. Well, but let me ask you this, because I, I do agree. I think a course like that would be great. Uh, uh, clearly, a course like that is needed, um, not, and not just for kids. I mean, there's people on the Elite Series that clearly need that said course. Um, but where did you – let's reverse engineer this. Where did you learn what to ask sponsors? Because I don't believe there was a course wouldn't nobody tell you anything. That was what, what was so frustrating. Uh, the people that I was even the closest to, uh, they wasn't going to breathe a word about nothing. They didn't want you to know what anybody made, and, and you just didn't know. So you kind of just fumble your way through it, literally just fumble your way through it to try to figure out what's the guideline. And it's unfortunate because I probably missed a lot of sponsors because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to ask for. I didn't have any idea. So I think by educating at least a base platform of what is a starting out salary, what do you try to work to? What is a long-term sponsorship look like? Not a short term. So to me, it was a lot of trial and error. Just really just, I can remember going in some of these meetings, Dave, and being so intimidated because I didn't know Jack, dude, I didn't go to college. I didn't know nothing about marketing. And I would just sit there and listen, like whatever, you know, and, just trying to make the right play to like, okay, where do I need to be without being overpriced? And then a lot of times you'd walk out and go up, well, I went too cheap, but sometimes I just wanted my foot in the door. I felt like on a lot of them places, if you'll just let me get my foot in the door, I'll show you that I can outwork 95% of your people, but you got to give me a chance. So sometimes I was more willing to work for cheaper and take the chance as I would go out on a high number and get kicked out right off the get go. But the key thing you said there, and I still think it's true to this day, work. You work. were willing to work. Like, I feel, I mean, that fallacy, that belief that one day, you know, I'm going to win this big tournament and all of this is going to show up. Yeah, if you were willing to work, you can capitalize on different opportunities that are brought your way through the industry. But if you're not willing to work, I mean, a sponsor will work with somebody who's willing to work. But yes. Valuing yourself at $75,000 in high school is delusional, but also at the end of the day, I mean, I feel the biggest problem is, and I don't think it's a problem of the sport. Like when I read people and they say things like, well, you know what? 
bass fishing didn't do a very good job of telling the truth. And I'm like, well, what do you mean telling the truth? The NFL, nobody sells a dream bigger than the NFL, but they show you, they don't show you the dude who's out after a year. They don't show you the dude that played for, he was on a practice squad for two years and can't walk right for the rest of his life. They show you Patrick Mahomes win the Super Bowl. They show you the successful one. Yeah. Not failure. It's, a, it's what every single sport in the world does. I mean, for that, and, and some of them are bigger. I get it. You make it to NASCAR, you're probably living pretty good, even if you don't win. Yeah. But fishing just isn't that sport. I think that's the weird reality that nobody talks about. Like, my answer to all of it is this. Like, I think courses and everything help, but there's just not enough people that watch tournament fishing. I mean, at the end of the day, like, if we had the viewership of an NFL game, like, why do NFL players make more than other sports? Well, because that league makes more. It's got more eyeballs. You know, hockey players play more games, but they get paid less. But they get paid more if more people watch. Right. So I, I mean, I think that's where we're at in fishing. I mean, I think that's why when you uh, you look at the top guys in the sport and see what their overall following is on the social channels, they're pretty much all the legit ones are pretty much close to the same. Why? Because that's all the people that's watching. Yeah. You got to be creative outside of that to, to to get new people to follow your page or you got to buy them. You know, and I think that's you see that in the cap of the sport. You know, once you get there, you're like, okay, this is where we're at now. Could it get better? Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking with more, more insight, but like maybe live, I, I don't have all the answers, but I think it's not going to grow at a pace where people think, I don't think we're going to go out next year and say, Dave, we've quadrupled the numbers. We got 40 million people watching fishing. No, we're going to get it at a snail's pace. We're going to gain a hundred to 200,000 a year. Overall watching is the best we, I think we could hope for. But the difference is there may be 40,000 fans in the stand at NASCAR, but when they leave there, they don't go buy a good year and a set of brake shoes that Dale Jr. was running. But there may be 20,000 in the classic stands watching the final weigh-in, and whoever wins, if they were throwing a Rapala DT6, they're going to sell a butt load of them because those people are going to walk out of there or click on their phone right then to tackle warehouse, and they're going to start ordering bags. So I think the difference is our fan base is smaller but they have deeper pockets in what they love to do because you don't yeah. have to buy anything to be a NASCAR fan, a t-shirt. You don't even have to buy anything to be an NFL fan, a Jersey, but fishermen do it. Like our fans go do it. They go do that. They go fish. So they're going to buy a Phoenix. They're going to buy an AFCO sun shirt. I think that's where we're different. So when people say, well, y'all don't have the eyeballs, but we have the deeper pockets and the selling power. Because yeah. our fan base is very uh, influential to what is what is working, what is successful. Yeah, Which is, I mean, and I think that's where, I think that's where some of our guys sell their shelf short. Maybe uh, in a sponsorship meeting, is not knowing the selling power, uh, or have a way to track it, to to understand. You know, uh, maybe a guy don't have because people always want to look at that final number on social media. I get tickled because. You talk to sponsors now, which, which when you and I started on Facebook, it wasn't like we were Facebook playable, Facebook playable. We, people thought we were MySpace. But those people now all of a sudden are going, we need to see how many followers somebody's got. That really don't even matter that much anymore. It's a cool number to have, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a guy with 30,000 followers can't sell a whole bunch of tackle. 
because those people follow him because they like him. Yeah. They're watching him. So I think they, they underestimate the selling power of that. Your YouTube channel. Everybody acts like if your YouTube channel don't have a half a million subscribers, you're, you're not doing a good job. A guy could have 20,000 subscribers and sell a quite bit if he hustled at it. Yeah. You know, so I think the understanding what your value is on the backside of selling is what makes you worth money in the sport. I don't think we have to have 50 million fans. I think no. you just have to know what your fans are willing to spend because the difference is my fans can walk up and say, Hey, gee, we was down at Gunnersville in February. We cracked their butts, but we smoked them on that new Rapala jerk bait, that Maverick. It's awesome. That experience and that what they have and what I have, we have in common. So that conversation then is open to whatever. Fishing has brought the world together. So like, it's something that we can relate. That it, it, it's uh, it knocks the barrier down. There's no buffer there. If you and I walked up to our biggest celebrity crush out there, we probably wouldn't know what to say because we don't know if we have anything in common with them. You know, I don't know what I would say to Penny off the Big Bang Theory outside of "Good God, you're hot," but I mean, like, I don't know what she likes to do. But if somebody's a Dave Mercer fan and they approach you at a show, they know Dave fishes. That's your life because you've shown them on social media. You're a fisherman and you're a really good small mouth northern fisherman. So that's what they have in common. So the bridge is built between the customer and the promoter. And it's easy to cross to go back and forth and buy tackle because they can hear it straight from you. When you say, hey, I catch him on a, a lead head in a tube. They can say, Dave told us this, this is the color we're looking for. So I think understanding that dynamic of our sport is so overlooked from guys who are out selling. It's unbelievable. Like I, I really think I've probably sold more trucks at gas stations than some salesmen have sold on a lot. Because if I can get a guy at a gas station to say, hey, man, what do you think about that Tundra? You're getting good gas mileage? And I can say, well, check this out. Man, I got a six-inch lift on 35s. I can tell you what, them 14-inch wheel drums we got on them front brakes is tough because I don't never pay attention, stop on a dime. That guy has something in common with me that made him ask me that, and he trusts me what I'm fixing to tell him. Yeah. So I've got I piqued his interest about that truck. I don't know that when Michael Jordan walks off the basketball court, when in his prime, when they say like, Mike, what do you think about that basketball? I mean, you see what I'm saying? They buy a jersey. I love Michael Jordan, but I can't ever play the game like him. I can't even never get on the same court he plays on. But people can go fish Toledo Bend and then come to our event and watch us fish and say, I was just out there and we didn't catch his jack. So how come Kyle Welcher just caught 51 pounds with three bass, you know? I think that's the coolest thing we have in our sport. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the engagement as opposed to the total number. And, but even the fact that we're having this conversation, I believe there's athletes in other sports that don't even think about this. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you're, and you'll see it in comments. I mean, there'll be people that comment in here where they're like, once you make it here, you should get this and this. That's just not how this sport works. And it's not just tournaments. Like people think, well, these guys shouldn't have to pay entries. Well, I'll give you another example. I host a television show and I have for 20 years, basically now. You'll buy your time. Exactly. If I, if I hosted a golf show, a football show, a skiing show, did just insert a photography show, the networks would buy it. But in the fishing world, I buy my airtime just like every other fishing show host in the world does. It's just how it works. Why is fishing like that? 
people just get bent out of shape. I'm like, we're always going to pay an entry. And I still think that paying an entry is not necessarily a bad thing because you get the best of everybody. One of the things that I was most alarmed about when I went to MLF was the no entry. Because yeah. immediately you start seeing people get complacent, wanting to go home early. They ain't caught them by the third quarter. They just kind of give up. That never happens in an elite when you drop five grand. You cat clawing down to the bitter end. So I think you get the best of the athlete when he has a vested interest. Good it's just, point. I'm not saying that I agree with the number or amount paid. That That's not even in my discussion. I'm just saying if me and you are playing cards and there's not even two dimes on the table or a running bet, then you just play whatever. It don't matter. Just call, whatever. But if there's $10 on there, you play like you care. So if I'm going to compete against the best in the world, I want them to be 100%. I think everybody should go in and play like they care. It makes the league better. It makes the show better to watch. Yeah, nobody nobody mails it in. I mean, mm -mm. you watch the final week, not to use another NFL example, but I will, but the final week of the regular season, it's not fun because everybody, every team that's in contention is sitting their players you know what I mean? And that was one of the negatives that you, and you have to go through it to see it. But I think that was one of the things that MLF themselves didn't realize would happen. You know, all of a sudden it worked great as a TV show when there was 22 guys or however many it was. But when you had 80 guys and they were tour level guys, they're not playing to make a TV show. And when no. they get safe, they stay safe. You know, they protect water and, that becomes a really boring product. And it's it, it, the complacency is there. And I think by me fishing around the younger guys in the elite series and all that, I think it's making me a better fisherman. You know, I, I do. Uh, doesn't mean I'm going to win nine events, but I think by people pushing you to get better and, and giving you 100%, the people around them will rise to that occasion. They will rise to that competition level, which in, in, in five years from now makes a better bass product on TV because everybody's learned to give 110% every day, which pushes the numbers, which pushes the, the century belts, which pushes some of the most exciting ways that Dave can MC because everybody has pushed themselves to make magic. When you don't have anything in the game, you just fight. Well, I'm out this week. I didn't catch him in the first quarter. I'll just kind of hang tight back here and do whatever. I just don't think that's, I, I see it in college bowl games, man. You look at what happened to Florida state. They got guys that set the bowl game out because they didn't want to lose out on the draft or get hurt. Well, they lose 60 to six or 60 to three. And I'm like, it was kind of unfair. It wasn't a good game to watch. The fans didn't get what they want. You know, it's because there wasn't nothing on the line. To them, it's just a bowl game. There was no championship. And the only thing they had to lose was money, which like that, that's a whole different discussion. But I'm like watching that and I'm going – this don't make bowl games fun to watch. Yeah, they that that system has definitely screwed up bowl games. And whatever the money is, they're paying them. That's that's not good. Like it changes things. So fishing, I think, needs that entry fee to pay and play uh, a little bit. And and of course, there's like, well, no other sport plays pays entry fees, but NASCAR has to have six million dollar cards. Okay, so now I got six million in entry fees. Y'all rather pay that or pay you forty five thousand? 
because that's what they have to have the race. You see what I'm saying? They might have an entry fee technically, but they have to have to have so so much more money to get in the game. It's an entry fee. They can just call it something different. But when you got to have all them cars and all them crews, you got you you paying to play. So I don't know. I think I think that's something that we have to pass down to the younger generation, though, in high school. We want them kids to give 110%, you know, to give it all they got. Uh, even if the field is oversized or whatever they feel like they're out, you have to be vested in some way. And I think Bass has done a good job of that when people are here and they see what the 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 stage can be and where it can go, you get vested. I think that's – and I think to some of the older guys, that's probably what pisses them off when they see young guys do really dumb crap, like not respecting the league or not doing something like – that's just like me and you said. Maybe we're just getting old because maybe 20 years ago that didn't bother me. But when I see somebody do something on the stage is super disrespectful to the league or to you or to Chase – I'm probably wrong in that, but it kind of pisses me off. I'm like, dude, this is our home. This is it. Like it or not, we can get behind the scenes and bitch all you want to. But when the public's watching, this is your stage. This is as big as it gets. And if everybody felt that way, I mean, that ultimately, at the end of the day, if everybody, like, something I've got in the routine of saying to people when they bring up, the negatives, which boy, they have brought up the negatives in the last six months of everything on earth. And, and I hate the whole, Oh, well being negative is being real. Yeah. It's being real. There's stuff that needs to be talked about, but there's also an unrealistic perception out there. Like if you hadn't fit and, and if you haven't figured it out by now, when you've lit, you're lit, you know, you're not a high school angler, you're fishing the elites. Um, I, I just am in the routine of telling people, well, so what have you done to grow it? Because if you if you ask me to fill out a full scab piece of paper of what Gerald Swindle's done to grow it, I could do that. If you ask me to do that on Brandon Polnick, I can do that. Carl Jacobson, and I'm going to get in trouble because I mentioned anybody's name, but the list goes on. And there's people, and then there's people that are Thank that you. are waiting. You know, they're 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 you. We all need to put into you know. If if we had 25 Gerald Swindles on camera, boy, imagine what the ratings would be. You have to have some good editors, but <laughs> you got to have people who are invested and love it. And the reason I've always wanted to see the sport grow is, is uh, not my love for, you know, not necessarily because my love for Chase Anderson or Trip Weld and all that. I just love my platform. I love what fishing has been able to do for me. So why wouldn't you want it to grow? Like I have a hard time when somebody says, man, let's just bull crap over here. That chase ought to just pay us $20 million just to show up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, I am the prime example, Dave. And I probably shouldn't say this. I'm probably going to get in trouble. I have made more money than I could ever comprehend in bass fishing. Boys, I ain't never won a damn elite. I finished every place in the elites you can finish. I've even won and got and got penalized and finished second. But I have made a great living because I was willing to work for something I believed in in a, in a league that I believed in, even when I thought the league was doing me wrong. You know what? I just kept working. Just kept my damn mouth shut best you can and just work because there's nowhere else I can go and make this kind of money and do what I love. So, like, I hear people talk about how bad it is. I'm like, no, nah, bro, if you come to the Swindles house, we're going to tell you it ain't that bad. You ain't never framed houses. You've never held a flashlight for my daddy. You know just damn how bad it can be, you know? 
it's not that bad. Yes, could it things be improved? Yes, but so could Joe Biden. So could the economy. But where we're at, it's not that bad. I mean, fishing may go under next year when I'll be digging ditches. But I'm talking to a guy from Canada who is the biggest face of bass fishing, emceeing. Now, think about that. I'm like, did you, I mean, bass fishing has been good to you. But guess Incredible. what? I tell everybody, you're the hardest working man on stage I've ever seen. I said, I see people emcee. I've emceed. You can't compete with it. The guy just don't show up and do a two-hour job and goes home. He's preps before he gets here. So bass fishing has provided Dave Mercer for a platform and a great avenue to make money. Now, what you do with it, that's up to you, Dave Mercer. You know, that's what I want to tell these guys. What You you having a top 10 and all that, that's good. It's what you do with it that falls back on you. So what's different now? Because when you started, I mean, did you have the same feelings that we're hearing from a lot of these young guys feeling like? I did, man. I did not. I, I, when I was that young, I wasn't sitting around kicking rocks with Guido Hidman going, boy, his entry fees just too high, man. And I, and I know what everybody said, man, these entry fees are high. They are. But guys, when I was paying them, I made $10 an hour framing houses. So any of y'all, most of y'all has been to college, get your pen and pad out and start figuring that up. Now, our entry fee was 1500 to $1,800. I was making $10 an hour and didn't have any sponsors. It felt like 50000 But I wasn't complaining. I go fish and come home. I'd work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. What, whatever it took, I was going to swing out hammered. I made enough money to get back. I never looked at the league and said, y'all are just doing this to me. I always was a guy to say, hey, I'm the one that saddled up on this horse and I'm going to ride it. If this is what I have to do to chase the dream, I'm going to do it. Now, I didn't understand the business side of it. I wasn't inside all the dynamics of it. So I didn't have that point of view to say, well, maybe we could pay more here. Or maybe we could pay more there. I just looked at it as a back then it was a top 150, top 100. And I'm like, well, there's a hundred of us out here. We all got the same rule sheet. We all got the same field. All I got to do is figure out how to beat these guys in a way to make money. That's it. So whatever it come down to, I was like, I'm just going to hustle my way through it. But now that there's a lot more education in the program, there's a lot more insight and guys seem to want to find a reason to complain instead of reason to excel. And I promise you, if we want to sit around and write reasons to complain, I, I could run out of Leanne's paper around here. But when you start trying to write reasons to excel, you got to think about it. And it just comes down to what you want in life. You know, that there's two or three kind of people. There's people who want to and people who talk about it a lot. So I'm just telling all you young kids out there, if you think it's tough to make it right now, it is. It is very tough. But I, I can show you a busload of kids. It was like it's going to be NFL players and got all hurt in college and never made it. So life ain't going to get you there every day. It ain't going to be a free ride. You can make it. You can make it. But you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to just push forward even when it don't make any sense. Tell my nephew that all the time. You got to work when it don't even make any sense. Just work. Be the guy when somebody says, man, we can't really afford to pay you this year. The budget's tight. Say, man, I'll make you a deal. You know how many sponsorships I've signed with this same line? I said, I'll make you a deal. You sign me. Let me work a year. You don't owe me a dime. If we get to the end of the year and I can prove that I was worth more than I said I was going to be worth, and you're happy with what I said, would you pay me then? You know how many of them said, yeah. I'd work that year for free. I'd give you one on the books just to show you that, hey, and you know what it come to? It come to relationships that have never ended because the people are like, man, this guy, he went out on a limb. You know, not many guys are going to do that. I hear guys say, man, if I ain't going to pay maybe 10000 I ain't doing it. 
Okay. But that 10,000 could have laid into a hundred thousand. Do you ever think about that? You know, not all sponsorships start out at the top. They don't. I mean, I've watched Kyle Welcher just peck away at it. You know, you think when Kyle Welcher come out here that he was making what he is now? No. He was just getting a little mailbox check. But guess what? AOY, lots of top tens, a lot of great YouTubes. Guess what? Kyle Welcher's working his way in the business world. It's just that simple. You know, when you said people say it's not easy to make it, I I don't think it ever was. You know what I mean? Like I never, ever looked when I was a kid sitting on my knees in the living room, watching the Bassmaster on TNN. I never looked at Denny Brower. I never looked at Basil Bacon. I never looked at any of them and said, well, they took the easy route in life. You know, that's part of, I mean, it's never been easy. Never. And them guys wouldn't back then. I, dude, I love Denny and Shirley, and I love Guido. And Guido Hibble was one of the, him and his wife was one of the first people to really be nice to me. Like, but they didn't owe me nothing. They weren't going to tell me what I ought to make on sponsorship. They weren't introducing me to people. You know, back then, it's still what it is now. It's pretty much dog eat dog. Get in where you fit in. But it, it's like, I didn't think they had an easy route. I admired them, but I was coming after what they was making. I mean, I just think that's just the nature of any competitive sport. How much of this do you think is real? And how much of this do you think is, and I, I'm going to get railed on this podcast because, because we've been very pro bass and people will be like, well, he's a hired hand, you know, of course he's saying that, but there's also part of me that just thinks like, it's also the first time in history that there is a benefit to being negative. You know, to being that guy who is. Yeah, it gets a lot of attention and clicks. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of these companies now are just looking at how many clicks his YouTube gets. You know, can his YouTube get a lot of clicks? Are they negative clicks or are they positive clicks? Which one sells more? Which one is a better fan base? You know, which which one? My wife made a comment to me, and she's never really said it was uh, back in November. I made a video hunting in Kansas called the Rusty Gate. And it was uh, nobody in camp got up and went hunting that morning. It was extremely cold. Deer hadn't been moving. And, I, and my wife was with me. And I got up and left way before daylight, drove out there. Because I really went to find that smell. Like, she didn't even know because she was like, your deer ain't moving. Why are you not back? But I had something on my mind. And we did the video. And it and it was super fortunate people received it well. And I think between TikTok and Facebook, it's got through, I mean, almost 6 million views. And she said, you know what I like about this video? And I thought she was going to be like, yeah, you know, you look good in it. And you did. She said, you didn't say anything negative. And she yeah. said, I'm just so tired of social negative and fishing. She said, everything you turn on, uh, it, people want to be negative. She said, so I think this is a true sight that you just don't have to be negative to get clicks. You know, but I think sometimes it's the easiest clicks. Yeah. You can get on and bash people and, 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 and get clicks. And I'm sure somebody's going to probably say that to you, that the only reason we talk good about bass is because we're both fishing in bass and da, 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 you know, and I'm like, I know, I, I think if, uh, truth be known, I could, I could, uh, I could write a pretty, pretty good storyline about how I've been mistreated at bass at times when I felt like I had been mistreated. So don't think it's always had the red rug rolled out for me, but I still love the shield and the people like what I do. So I'm, I don't think I've had any, special treatment to make me sit here on this podcast with you and say, Oh, it's all about BASS. I can just say they provided me with the biggest playing field to make my living. 
And I respect the fact that they do that. That video you talked about, one of my favorite videos you've ever done, but it also speaks to me. Dude, I feel like you have, I mean, I think it's your job as a person to continuously evolve. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I feel that way about myself. I feel like the version of me from 10 years ago, I should be embarrassed of today if I've right. grown as a person. But when I look at, at what you've done, and I think it gets so, I mean, people that are around it see it. But did you have evolved from the funny dude who just makes you laugh to, man, you really touch people's lives with videos like that. Was that a, why, when did that start happening for you? And, and was it a conscious decision or no, it's just you as I a person. It, it was me as a person evolving. And I think when I started talking about uh, PMA uh, was uh, after I, I lost my brother and I struggled. So I'm like, I got to figure out how to get out of this. I, I, I really worked at it, worked at it. And it became almost an outlet for me to talk about it. So when I first did seminars on trying not to be negative, trying to find the good and everything, it really wasn't as much for the person in the room to hear as it was for me to hear myself say it. It was almost like a healing that, hey, I've got to, I've got to, I got to be a better person because I don't like who I was last year. You know, I don't like the guy that seemed mad and negative. So it just kind of happened as accident. And then people just kept coming up and going, hey, man, you, you know, it was just overwhelming and then the more i talked about it and then now it's just like it's been the weirdest change in life dave because i like i you and i both like to laugh and i i love making people laugh me making people smile sometimes that's the biggest high ever and and i don't go out to practice it i don't know what i'm gonna say i just like seeing people smile because i know we can all have no matter who you are you can have some crappy days so like yeah. sometimes laughter is good but some of the things that's happened to Leanne and I and, and being able to see it when people come back to you and talk to you about it. And a lot of times, man, it's just therapy for me. That's it. It's just some way I have to express myself because my mind races. And that day I smelled that smell when my brother was living, I just never forgot it. And I knew the year before that I had smelt that smell at that gate. And I knew it was a frosty morning. And that morning when it frosted, I didn't give a damn if I even had my bow with me. I was going to that gate before daylight just to see. So like, I'm a little bit, maybe call me weird. Like that. I think that way. And when I was there, I was like, I'm just going to make the video. And, you know, because I think so many times in life, it helps to know that me and you have something in common. Like maybe, maybe we in the struggle bus together, me and we like to, like, if I just know my buddy's going through a bunch of crap with me, you know, like he, his, you know, he got some uncles on meth too. And I'm like, we in the same boat. It's a comforting to know that you have everybody's life's not perfect. So by sometimes just opening my mouth, I don't know. Sometimes when I talk, I don't even know what's going to come out. I know sometimes what I feel and what I see now is different. And I see a lot of what you say that I want to be a better person. You know, I look, when I lay down, I'm like, I just really want to try to do good. And I can't, man. Like, like sometimes I'm telling you, I'm horrible. Like I get at the gas station. I'm like, People just piss me off. Like I just come in and I'm like, I don't want to be that dude. But I can tell all other men like this, just because you have one of those moments don't make you a bad dad or, or a bad son. You're just human. We just got to acknowledge it and say, okay, she got the best of me at the gas pump today. She pissed me off. I ain't gonna let it happen again. I said, as long as you acknowledge it, we win it. So I, we've been blessed, man. Just uh, 
story after story. I, I, I have so many. And my wife's told me but like several times in the last two years, she said, you really need to sit down and record some of this stuff that's happening. Cause she said some of it just, she said, I sit and just like staring, like, I can't believe this just happened. That, that, that how, how people are affected by just a simple PMA or just needing a hug. So I think to me, that's the greatest gift of fishing. So if it wouldn't have been for fishing and it wouldn't have been for the, the platforms that I played the game on, and that's old school FLW. Even when I fished the BPT, to you know, bass. If I didn't have that platform, I would not be able to shake a man's hand that was a fireman that said he tried to rescue a baby and he lost the baby in his arms. And he said, I hadn't been able to sleep. So like I start all of a sudden get this reality check that like I'm shaking a man's hand. that's a fireman that goes in burning buildings and tried to save a baby and lost it and been dealing with suicidal thoughts that nobody in his family knows it. So I'm like, is fishing really that damn big, David? Are we are we not stressing over some stuff that don't matter? So when I hear somebody say, man, we paying an entry fee, I want to say, fool, please. You ever shook a man's hand that you know is a man's man and see his eyes water? And he said, I feel like I failed. I'm like, till you see that, you don't realize the position you're in to change or do something positive. And that's what I admire about the athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, Michael Jordan, some of the great ones, look what they do positive. Yeah. So I'm like, this is, and I'm not, and we're never going to be in that comparison, but if Dave Mercer has a chance to influence or change someone's life, you're going to do it. I know you like a book. If your story of what you've been through changed somebody's life, it bless you, bless your wife. So like, why don't we look at that more than we do look at the entry fee? So you mean to tell me if the entry fee is all I had to pay to get to where I'm at right now so I could shake that man's hand? Hell, that's a small price to pay, Dave. Amen. I totally agree. And, and I feel like you have no, I don't even know that you fully understand the amount of people that I've run into at events that literally, you know, wear swindle. And then they get off in this telling me stories about two years ago, I was down and out. I wanted to end everything. And so, and a video you did spoke to them. Why do you think so many people relate with you? Is it just because you're real? I just think at one time I just, just didn't want to mask it anymore. I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to be honest with the people on Facebook. I struggle. I struggle. You know, someday the black dog sits on my porch, you know, and I think, the more I talked about it, it was helping me, but the more people related to the fact that, hey, maybe I have something in common with this guy. Maybe it ain't because he fishes 13 rod and reel. Maybe it's just because I see this guy as a man and he's speaking my level that he's struggling with issues outside of fishing, you know? And I just think as men, we don't do a good job with that. We no. really don't. Like, I mean, I've seen you on stage and your back hurting you so bad, Dave, that like, if somebody didn't truly know Dave Mercer, they would never have known. I knew, but you just don't say nothing. I've seen it. Like, it's just what men do. We just don't say much. And I think we're missing the calling sometimes on, and I tell young anglers that if you truly want to uh, start a fan base, show people who you are. Yeah. Not, not, not who you want them to think you are. Show them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Show them your family. And the prime example, Carl told me the other day, he said, mate, he came hunting with me and he went home and his wife just shot that video of him coming home. 
we got like three million views. And he and I told him when he was at the house, because he was super complimentary when he got there. He said, he said, gee, he said, your your Facebook stuff. He said, I've been watching it. He said, it's insane. And I'm like, dude, I've just been getting lucky. I said, it just, I ain't really been paying a lot of attention to it. And I said, Carl, there's nothing wrong with you telling your story, man. I said, you're a great dude with a great smile. But I said, most of the fishing fans might just know you're an Australian guy that throws a glider. But I said, sometimes just tell your story. Show your wife. Show him, Carl. And like when he went home and done that, I'm like, it's magic. When my wife showed it to me, I'm like, that's it. You know why? Because now people can relate. Because there's a lot of people who work that ain't fishing. They're cross-country truck drivers. And when they come home, guess what? Their child and their dog is going to run out in the yard to meet daddy. When Dave Mercer comes home, your children and your dog is going to run out and your wife to say hello. You, you're that guy. Like, you can relate to that video. You might not even can tie a polymer knot, but you can like, I can relate to this guy, so I'm going to follow him. Because it's, I think that's some of what we have missed in fishing. We think when we, when with influencers changing the way people see social, we think it's a script. Like I have to do this and this and that. Just do you. Let people like you for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then they're going to always be there when you don't catch them and when you do catch them. And when they open up the show, the lines are going to be there to meet you. Why? Because they have something in common with you. They've been, they've been that. I, I think when people know that there's other people that struggle, it's a relief because if you just look at social, it looks like everybody having a good life. Yeah. Beautiful sunset pictures and just makeup perfect. And there's man Lulu in here working in the office in her sweatpants, hat on crooked, beard all messed up. And I was like, shit, I ain't going to change. I'm just going to make a video like this. But I think, I think real and Carl and I talked about this. I think real and raw is the new polished. Uh, 100%. Just let people know who you are. Then you, they won't be disappointed. So the young guys out there, you like, well, I don't know what to post to start telling your story. You know, raising so many people like Matt Robinson, it's because they can relate to him. They yeah. got, a, they got an uncle with a mullet. They think it's kind of funny and he can catch him, but he's real. It's just, there's no question of who he is. I know anglers I fished against for years and seen them on social and they ain't nothing like what they are on social. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think we're just missing the opportunity that people want somebody to, to aspire to be, if they're fishing, they want to have a fishing hero. And then it ain't me. It could be I'm like Van Damme, it's Wheeler, it's the guys catch them every day, but they want someone to look up to. I do. I, I truly think, and I think parents, Want someone like that the, their kids can look up to. I just don't think we tell the story enough in fishing. I agree with that. I, I think that's a changing that's happening in the world. You know I what I mean? Just, part, yeah, I, I mean, think like with your podcast, with the other guys' podcast, when you see it shifting more of that, of what to be the storyline behind the person, the building of the man, that's what I think we're going to instead of just getting on here and saying, Days we bringing you the black rifle coffee mug shot of the 13 meter rod with a crooked zone worm or something. I think that's that those days are they're still there where you're going to sell product, but I think the days of you just being who you are, you know, I had somebody comment on one of my I posts a while back in their life, boy, all you want to do is sell shirts. I put you damn right, I do. I ain't lying to you, bro. I'd love, buy them. I, why, why would I lie about that? It's the reason I make them. I mean, I hope to inspire people and I hope to make people laugh. But yeah, I'm in business to sell a shirt. What's wrong with that? 
I mean, the guy comes to my here and sells side, and I don't walk out. Just, Boy, you just won't sell side, Nancy. Well, that's what he does for a living. So, I mean, take the good and the bad. So, we got a little deep on this one, Dave. We did. We did. We got very deep. There's people that are like, just tell me how many strands you like on your busbait skirt. For the love of God, Swindle. You know, and I think <laughs> I think we have gave so much information away on a different subject as anglers. We become so dependent on uh, or feel like people are dependent on us making content videos that you give all your intellectual value away. You don't I mean, you can teach fishing. But you don't have to teach everything you know that's your secret. I mean, I think it's time and place for that. So, like, I'll teach people how to fish. But if I know something like, and I've got a new Zoom bait that, I, that they've been making, and I'm like, they were, I was talking to Chris Baxter about it. He goes, man, we make some videos on it. I said, well, maybe we don't. And he started laughing. I said, maybe we give a brother about three or four months with it before we make a video. Because everybody's looking for that secret. Yeah. And I promise you, if I got in Jacob Wheeler's boat and dug around, there's stuff in there that he ain't talking about. Stuff in Kyle Welter's boat he ain't talking about because that's his secret. That's like in the huddle in the NFL. There's something, there's a secret there. Now it'll come out and you'll eventually learn about it. But I don't, I think so many anglers just get up and reprocess information that you just keep teaching and teaching that you really don't have anything left in your arsenal to go. And at this level of competition, you got to have things that you hold pretty tight. Do you think it's anglers just don't value themselves enough? Like they've got caught in this trap of like, people just want to hear this. And, yes. and they've also got a check mark that they got to put beside because companies say, well, we want this or that. But I mean, another sport example, I don't think I've ever heard a NASCAR guy teach me how to drive. Not once have I had a NASCAR, like in all those interviews, any of the stuff that I've seen that has entertained me, I've never been like, you know, I was watching yeah, Dale Jr. last week, and he said, I need to hold the steering wheel a little different. He was fed it on an inside camera on that left wheel on them nine-degree tracks. We had to run it up to a 48-degree because it just wasn't lifting good, and we showed y'all that on a YouTube video. No, we didn't because it was a winning combination. So, you know, I think there's a fine line there between, uh, you know, your content you use to compete with and then teaching people. And I do think it's an incredible uh, lesson to teach people to fish and the basics of fishing. And I do a horrible job on YouTube because I think everybody knows how to tie a knot. And Shannon, my videographer, is like, no, no, bro, you, you're missing the boat. People just want to know how to rig a Texas rig worm. They don't want to know your top secret stuff in your boat. So me balancing that, I'm learning. Like this this stuff that you really hold true and dear, don't say much. But teaching somebody the basics of fishing, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But like uh, I think it's uh, what we are seeing as now. And, and it kind of sucks because they're grouping all fishermen into social influencers. Like I'm getting more and more contracts where it's all written up like a social influencer. And I'm like, you're, you're truly not a social influencer because you have a resume. A social influencer, if you took their job away, they don't have a resume. They were just a social influencer. Yeah. So Dave Mercer has a resume of many, many years of a top MC of bass. So even though you are a social influencer in a lot of ways, you still got a resume. You have a talent. You have a skill. You know, and I think that's what we're selling ourselves short at is you're a professional angler fishing on the highest level. Don't let that sponsor sell that short. You're not just a social influencer should post for a 20% code. You know, uh, let her, you know, you got to stand your ground and say, Hey, I've qualified to be here and I, I, I'm aspiring to be the top level. So I do have somewhat of a, a talent or a resume. And I, I know that's going to like piss some people off, but it, 
it is what it is. Like, I mean, I'm, I've, I split through social. There's some great social people out there, but at the end of the day, what is the resume? Well, some, some, some people it's pretty easy to see what the resume is. It's really looks good in a bikini. It's mad that I don't. I mean, I've actually thought about it, you know, like told Lynn, it keeps getting colder. These butthole pictures don't seem that bad. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just saying, uh, I think fishermen, we have to stand on that to say, Hey, we're, we're participating in a sport, uh, that requires a, a, a level of skill and talent. And we don't want to sell that short as just an influencer because uh, they don't hire some of the greatest football players. They don't hire Patrick Mahomes because he's a social influencer. They hire him because he's the greatest quarterback out there and everybody knows it and they want to listen to him. So, you know, kind of kind of look at it like that. It's weird. I'm seeing a lot of this whole whole social deal now where I'm like, uh-oh, where is this headed? Oh, there's so many bad things about it. Like, there, I mean, it definitely, I always say, like, growing up now must be horrible. Like, I mean, I, I believe most, and no matter how popular were you were in grade school and high school, you probably didn't know it, with the exception of just a handful of people on earth. But now there's like a check system. Now you're like, well, that's how unpopular I am or how popular I am. And, or unpopular, and it messes with people. Big time. So big I, time. I think when people look at social media for their approval or who they are, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. If yeah. you if you're looking there for checks or blue checks or uh, some type of status that like this is don't man look in the mirror look look at look at your family look at your wife look at your kids look at the blessings don't look at Instagram because that that crap's half times a lie anyway. It it's it's fake a lot. I'll tell you at over. Christmas. One of my favorite things about the holidays is that you actually get time to just do stupid stuff you would never do and never plan. But one day I was on social media on Instagram and these are fine people, but I mean, there's a lot of filters out there nowadays. Well, I literally just went from people and they're in the fishing industry. They use filters. And I said, and I started taking videos of myself with the same filter. Gee, I am a beautiful, beautiful man. I put put this filter on. I get eyelashes. (laughs) No gray in your beard. You just, oh, Lord, look like a lumberjack. (laughs) But I'm like, what are people thinking? Like, I'm not going to. This filter is so strong that when you meet the people in person, you'd be like, I don't I don't know that person. (laughs) He must just got out of rehab or something. He's locked up. So like. Those filters, and what is a shame is it's teaching our children to try to be something they're not. Yeah. It's a little sad, but it's the, the world we live in. So don't don't let any of those social channels like define you. You know, use them for what they are and enjoy them. And social channels can be great, man. They can be super good for you, uh, but they can also be bad if you depend on them for for your solidification every day. Yeah, it's not real life. It it it. It, nah. you know, it, it's not, I mean, because if everything in real life goes bad, not one thing on social media is going to make you feel good about it. Like if the real problems happen at home, divorce, whatever, you're not, you're not going to be like, well, let me get on the Twitter here and I'll feel better about myself. Follow. Yeah. that much people on Twitter get divorced today too. No, you're not going to see that. You're All right. We- everybody's doing something good today. We've been very deep in this podcast, Wendell. So I'm going to leave the deepness for a second. Something people say about you all the time. Weekly basis. That dude right there. He could have been a stand-up comedian. 
Are you ever going to do it? Man, you know, you know who wants me to go on tour with him if I ever retire? Zach Russian. Oh, I'd go to that show. Yeah, his show is good, dude. It's not for children, but it is good. But he told me, he said, bro, you got to come. I was like, man, uh, making people laugh's always been fun. And the way my mind races, it would be fun. I think you, I mean, you've done some touring, you've done some comedy. It is fun, man. But now it's a lot of pressure too. I mean, it, you can, you can bomb at it. So like, I, I do enjoy making people laugh, but I, I mean, I wouldn't get cold being a stand up comedian, would you? No, no. I get canceled, but I wouldn't get cold. <laughs> well, that's the problem. I don't like the pro fishing world is not ready for it. Like, I feel oh. like, I mean, dude, what makes a, I mean, the, the base of comedy, any kind of comedy, it's the shock. Like that's, if you think of every joke that's ever made you laugh, it's like they paint the picture. We're going in this direction. And then what you, it's the exact opposite. So I don't think the fishing world is like, it'd be hard to be a comic in the fishing yeah. world. Now. I mean, how many times have you gotten in trouble? G? Oh, several, uh, several. <laughs> enough I've learned like, you just got to be really careful. So, and I've told Zach Rush that in our conversation, cause he's asked me about sponsors and stuff. I'm like, bro, you can't do it. You know, in your world, the shock factor in your jokes is what packs the arena. That's why people buy the tickets. And I said, in a corporate world, when you when you have a resume and you have this professional fishing talent, you're held to different standards. So you can't just say all that because the judgment's going to be passed three times as hard. And in stand-up comedy, it's one thing I love about Chappelle. He's brilliant. But he ain't always making everybody happy. Somebody may. Yeah. But he's funny. Very funny. Very, very funny. So I think um, you and I about push the limits. Well, me and you and Matt Robinson, we've got stretched the bar as high as old Lisa and Chris is going to let that bar get. <laughs> oh, I believe. I, I don't think Matt's done yet. Give him time. <laughs> Give him time. I mean, Matt has hardly, and this is not an insult, but Matt hasn't won yet. You know what I mean? Like, what? wait till the drug of a little success gets to that man. <laughs> Let him hold the trophy at Tulsa and watch what happens. <laughs> but Who again, he's really him. You yeah. know what I mean? Like like you said earlier, you need to be who you are. Like if Brandon Polnick tomorrow said, I want to be, I'm going to be Matt Robertson, everybody would look at that and be like, what is wrong with you? And and vice versa. If Matt Robertson tried to be Brandon Polnick, be who you are. Brandon's Brandon because when you watch him, he truly is exactly who he says he is. Yeah. He's in a lot of ways he's a fighting tiger in another way he's a father he's a gentleman he's a competitor but like it never changes i you know brandon pollinick wins a classic he's probably going to fall down on his knees and weep you know yeah. matt robson wins a classic he's liable to drink liquor out of chris bose's shoe i don't know but that you know what if he does win it you know i want i want to be there you know why because i don't know what's going to happen i want to be there you know, I'm working the show, but I can promise you if Matt Robinson or one of my boys have got a chance to win, I'm going to leave that way and I'm going over there because you you like that element of surprise of like, you don't know how this guy's going to react. Do you think the fishing world is a little bit too reserved at times? I think so. I think so. But I think it's just the demographic. It's the age and, and a lot of children. And, you know, uh, I see I see why it has to be that way. Uh, but I think sometimes it, it could loosen up a little bit, but I understand sometimes when you loosen it up some, it never stops. 
So I kind of see why they probably keep a cap on it. They and they do keep a cap on <laughs> things you don't even think are offensive. <laughs> I mean, you just say them and walk away. Next thing you know, you're on the car. <laughs> Sir, who are your picks now? Before you before you close me out, I mean, I know you've been thinking about the classic. You got, and I'm just going to tell you to pick one. Like you just got to just reach in that hat and say, "Feel like it's this the guy's time." My one is boring, um, but I, it's it just I've sat and thought, and I mean, there's a lot. You know, there's guys like Matt Airy who've done well there in the past, and he's due. And but, dude, every part of me just keeps screaming, Jason Christie. I, I mean, I, I feel like. I'm going to go out of left field. I'm picking my one shot. Ready for this? Bring it. Pelican. I'm calling. Oh, could you imagine? I'm just telling you, dude, the way he fishes and the way he's at mentally right now without having the, the corporate obligations, he has the freedom to fish and be dangerous because he has no restrictions. Like he, mm -hmm. he's not worried about anything, but winning that event. And that makes a competitor deadly man. And, his style, you know, front sonar, uh, live scoping, uh, big glides, jerk baits. I just got that gut feeling. I'm like, I think this dude's going to, he's going to take it. He could take it to the house. Gosh, that would, I mean, for him to have jumped into the opens. Dude, he's on his second or third one. And to, to make the elites, I mean, dude, Ben Milliken is, I, I believe, and I've said this for a long time, I believe this classic, regardless of how he does, this is going to be a coming out party for Ben Milliken, not for Ben, but for the industry to realize who he is. Like, I think we're going to see more of those red 402 jerseys in the crowd, and people will, like, I just don't think people realize the impact that he has. And, and dude, if he were to win it, Good. I think, googly, I think googly. Going into it, like when he come into it, yeah, YouTube standards, like I think he, my, people might have passed judgment because some YouTubers have tried this before and not been successful and have set a stigma for themselves. So I think when Ben come in, he had he didn't even might not have realized he may have. He's a very brilliant guy that he had a little bit of that stigma to overcome. Like, is this just some guy that makes videos or is he a true hammer? And I think he showed me and everyone else who he really is. He can catch him. Yeah. Can, yeah. Does he have a big following? Yeah. Take all that away. At the end of the day, when you give him his rod and reel, take all of his followers away from him. Is he still going to catch him? Yeah. So I think he did a great justice for a lot of YouTubers that, you know, because for a while there, fishing was taken over by YouTube, you know, and it was like this all these YouTubers was going to take over bass fishing and it just never happened. And then Ben come out and said, Hey, I can do both. I can be successful in making videos, but I also be successful on the water, which says a bunch. And I think a lot of kids took note to that. I think he's the very rare percentage of people too, though, that pile it on his shoulders that motivates him. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I think he loved the fact that like people said, Hey, let's see who this dude is. Like, I, I just think that, he's, that's kind of why I'm thinking the classic. Cause he still got that fearless mindset of, I got a little something to prove. Got a little something to prove. And he's not held down by – he's not going to have 42 appearances before the Classic. He's not going to be – I just know he's not. He's, he's going to be there for one thing and one thing only. Makes him deadly. Now, 
you know, put the BPs and the Jason Christie's and the Matt Aries in the whole box and shake them up. It's going to be a shootout. I'm just saying I, I, my wild horse has been. Hey, that's a lot more fun than my pick. I mean, nothing, no, no, no offense to Christie or anything, but I mean, Christie's going to be one of the pre-tournament favorites, but dude, I'd love to see Milliken pull it off. I, I mean, ultimately that's the coolest thing about the classic for me. I get to see like every one of the coolest things is the pre-tournament meeting that we have on Tuesday or whatever it is. I always stop and look at the entire room and I'm like, somebody's life gonna change is gonna change you know like obviously people were talking about gussie going into last year's classic he had won there but you know you just you what watch how that happened you know what i mean like it just i yeah i've heard you say it man i think some of them rookies don't realize it when you say it how much it true it is but like and i think we could see some of the the, the true rookies being that top five you know top six shootout you know the kyle patrick some of the guys coming in it's one on the open side is coming in. It's super good with live scope. I think you're going to see a, a a really diverse field. It won't be me and Mercer. I'll be over at the Toyota booth working. I was talking to Mike Bowser at Avco, and he said, man, how's it feel? You know, you're going to be out there working. I said, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I fished every Tulsa Classic, and I ain't caught him in none of them. I said, so maybe I'm better off over there with my sponsors. I'm just trying to remain positive about it. But I'm like, uh, it's going to be a good show. I, I told Lana, I said, we're going to attack it just like we're fishing it. We're going to go there and be the best we can be for our sponsors. That, I mean, if I can't be on that stage, I want to, I want everybody to listen to this podcast to come to every booth I'm at. Come see me. Come, come get a picture with Lulu, myself, shake hands. I want my sponsors to see that we're doing all we can for them. And I think as the anglers that don't make the classic, if you don't go into it with that mindset, it's you're shortening your career. Yeah. Yeah. It's and not, we're seeing it in the industry. There's people getting let go this year. There've been a lot of pro, you know, a lot of pros getting cut. So, uh, Carl asked me this. He said, when he come down hunting, he said, gee, man, he said, how, how did you survive the first recession in '08?" And I thought about it for a minute. It was out there in my little shop getting our hunting clothes on. I said, Carl, you, you survived the recession before the recession hits and you don't even know it. And he's like, mate, I say, you working, you're out working people when no one's looking. So when the sponsor gets ready to cut, he's going to be like, we don't pay this guy as much as the top guy, but he outworks everybody. So we really don't want to get rid of him because when the push gets hard, he's going to be there for us. So I was like, you really overcome those recessions before they hit because you've been someone that that company has either enjoyed working with or they know your worth ethic and they know if they ask you to do something, you're going to do it, which as you and I both know can suck sometimes because time is all we got. You know, it's hard to do. So like I'm, Tell the anglers, man, if you don't make it, go to the classic, make the best of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a job. You you have to, um, it's just, I always say that you, this is a weird little thing in my head. I'm always like, stay in the top five. And here's how I justify things. Like every company has a stack of resumes. Yep. And every company has times where they're said, you better cut. You know, you need to cut this percentage off your resume. There's always four or five that that company goes and pulls off the top and says, well, we can't really hit these as long as you can stay in that four or five. And the only way to be in there, because there's going to be good times, bad times, you know, in everything, whether it be tournaments, whether it be TV, but the only way to always stay there is be the guy that works hard. And, and the guy that they've enjoyed working with. Yeah. That's, like if you work with a company and you're not somewhat compatible to work with, 
it leaves a lasting impression. So when things get hard to like, this guy's always been hard to work with, just let him go anyway. You know, or this guy's really always been been over backwards for us. So like if there's anything we can do to keep him, let's keep him. Yeah. It really comes down to. Well, here's something that's come out, and I heard about it in the crappie world for the last year or so. But but what's your thought thought on forward facing sonar brakes? Have you Man, seen I'm, those? I'm seeing it now. I'm, I'm thinking about getting it there. Be honest with you. Come on. Damn, man, I can see the advantage of stopping the boat because of fishing pressure. You know, those listening that haven't seen this, I'll just explain it quickly, but it is, you know, your shallow water anchor goes down, but it's trolling motors so that when you're following a fish or whatever, you can use brakes. Do you you think, yeah, you you think we'll see many of them? I think you'll see at least five to 10 in the elites on certain tournaments. Wow. It just, it keeps you from getting too close. And as the fishing pressure gets higher, I think the distance is going to become a, a lot more crucial. I'm already seeing it. Like there's a certain distance where you, you need to stay. You don't need to get inside that if you can help from it. So being able to move around fast and find them and then stop, that's going to be crucial. So I, I'm, I'm already looking into some. So if people hated tournament fishermen for, Pricing it out of the game or whatever. I mean, adding two more trolling motors to your boat doesn't make it any cheaper. No, no. Neither does buying a $400 glide bait, but everybody does it. I'm like, I said, no, I can't pay $80,000 for that boat. And I said, well, you, well, we like to throw them $400 glide baits. I'm like, okay. It's the same difference. I mean, yeah. it's the highest quality material you can, but I think you're going to see more and more of it. The, the brake deal because of boat positioning and wind and, you know, uh, and I think it's going to continue to grow. I think you're going to be able to see them, be able to stop them in different manners and maybe spin them, hold them. Like I, I can see it going many directions from here. <laughs> Got to back that thing up, Dave. So do oh. a big when you back that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> pump the brakes, baby. I could just see you commentating now. Pump the brakes, pump the brakes. <laughs> Put them down, back it up. <laughs> oh, it'd be so good. Spin them hooves, boys. Oh, back it up, Buttercup. Back it up. So I think that's just uh, what the guys are doing to try to find that competitive edge. Yeah. People grow, knowledge gets stronger. Will it ever be restricted? I don't know. Could be, may not be. Yeah, I think that argument is who knows what the future of it is, but I don't think. I've always said from the start, guys like you, you don't really, I mean, of all people on earth, the choice is simple. I mean, if you want to compete, you're going to have to use that stuff. I was talking to a guy about it this weekend. He said, man, but you old school flipper. I said, yeah, but them days is over, bro. Like I love to talk to natural, but I'm like, you, you, you're going to live, you're going to be really good at live scope. Or you, you going to have a whole lot of hope and prayer on you because it's just what the games come to. So to be competitive, in that manner, and I think Welcher showed that. Welcher's a great natural fisherman, but he's also a great front looker, too, as, as Brandon Cobb calls them front lookers. He can fish that front looker, too. So you're <laughs> going to see guys come to the top that can junk a little bit but be great uh, live sonar fishermen. But the fishing style is different. Carl and I was talking about this. He said, do you think pre-fishing's ever helped you? I said, in my career, pre-fishing's never been that big a tool to me. It always kind of messes me up. But I didn't have front sonar then. 
Yeah. So live scoping makes pre-fishing a little different. You know, it's a different type of fishing. So I'm like, I can see where pre-fishing may become more of a factor. Guys goes and finds 80 brush piles. Well, he ain't got to just go throw up DT6 in them, see if they're there. He can go put the trolling motor down and look when he gets there. Back in the old school, I had to go throw a jig in them or jerk over them, and like it, it just took a lot longer to do. Yeah, why, now why cast if you don't see a fish? <laughs> I mean, and that's the cool thing about that guy that's putting on this tournament, Lanier. Uh, maybe it's going to make Lanier, I think, but it's like a $300,000 tournament and it's no front sonar. Uh huh. So I think they asked me, said, would you be interested in fishing? It's just a one off. And I'm like, it doesn't compete with bashing. He said, no, we just want to have a one off tournament. It's 300,000 to win and 13,000 for 40th, but it's no front sonar. And I'm like, well, this ought to be interesting. Sign me up. I, I think it'll, I, I think at the end of the day, I think that there is people that have done well with forward facing sonar, but at the end of the day, it all shakes out the better, you, you know what I mean? Because once everybody's using it, it still goes back to the better angler. Right. And like Welcher, he had a great tournament at Okeechobee swimming a jig and got nothing to do with live sonar, you know, yeah. Thing at Seminole, you know, uh, I, I know some of the tournaments he did good in, and, and it wasn't about live sonar, but when he needed it, he was good at it. So Dr. Jason Christie, I mean, he can use it, he got to have it, but if you give him that and his natural ability, he gets he gets pretty salty. We're gonna make him hard to handle out there at Grand because he knows where the brush is, he knows where the channel swings are, so he can watch his bait. There's no more guesswork, yeah. It's, and I think what we've seen the last couple of years is an adjustment period. You know what I mean? There has been people that were caught that were, that, that didn't take it serious. That just, it's not how they fish, but this is one of those moments where, I mean, I it's that. Like I teeter tied it in. I'd get one. I'm like, I'm going to learn this. And then I get in tournament situations. I'm like, man, I can, I can make the top 10 here on chatterbait. I ain't got to have that. And at the end of the tournament, I'm like, right, no more of that. You know, if you can see them on front sonar, you got to fish for them, period. Now, if you can't see them, don't worry about it. Go fish something else. But if you can see them, you better fish for them. Well, we got deep in this one. We talked about a lot of things. We, we, at very least, Randy Blockett will probably make a video about this video because we've said that that fastball breaks are the future of tournament fishing. So, uh, I mean, we'll, they get better and better. I mean, we get better batteries. Yeah. We got powerhouse lithium batteries. Now I got 16 volts. We can run you like we can run your graphs all day. Like every company out there is driving uh Hummingbird. I mean, Minkota just got their new brushless trolling motor out. You know, Power Pro has them a brushless trolling motor. Every company's trying to push it. You know, it just doesn't seem as direct to affect the catching of the fish, but you you don't realize it does. Quieter trolling motors, you're gonna be able to catch more fish on live scope. We all know that. You know, uh, more battery power in my box with a 16-volt powerhouse lithium. Well, hey, I don't have to worry about turning the graph off. I don't have to worry about, or I like my boat this year, I'm going to run a 19 Apex, a 16 Apex, and a 16 Garmin. I'm going to run bigger screens. Everybody's whining. I said, because I can, and I'm over 50. And over 50, everything bigger is better. You know, I'm I'm 6'4", looking down there. I want a big old screen to see mine on. <laughs> you know, so I was like, I think these companies are pushing that that level of, of fishing knowledge or their their intelligence and in how to make the best product so what's the difference in that in bass breaks you know phoenix makes a better live well they make more systems to make the fishing day more enjoyable 
So, I mean, I just think that's, that's just the way we grow. And the best thing about fishing from day number one is you can do it as you wish. You may not want bass breaks. You may not want four face. You don't have to. Like, it's like hunting. You can make a, I, 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 just like hunting. Mark Hicks, one of my favorite old time riders, but he loves to hunt, bow hunt with a recurve bow that he makes. It's his business. He asked me, why don't you shoot one? Because I don't, Indians lost with it. I don't want to mess with it. I shoot, <laughs> my, I mean, I shoot a compound bow. So I'm like, but I respect the fact that it's hunting. You can hunt like you want to. Yeah. Fish like you want to. It doesn't mean his way is wrong or my way is wrong. You just have to respect the fact that in the competitive game of anything, as the sport grows, the competitors to be competitive, represent their sponsors, and to be successful, they have to make those changes. They might not even like it. They just got to do it. All right. Well, before I forget, I have to do this because we've started a tradition with our show. It's called uh, Answer a Question and Ask a Question, where we let our previous guest ask you a question without even knowing who is going to be our next guest. Hmm. So our previous guest to you was the legendary Mr. Rick Clun. And his question was a simple one, but obviously very deep. It's never, never as simple as it seems with Rick, but it's straight up. He didn't know who this was going to be with, but his question to you is, are you happy? God, that's a good one. And yes, I can answer to Rick Clun. Where I'm at in my career and in my mindset, Rick, I am happy. Now, it took me getting older to find that true happiness, like what, what makes me happy. But yes, Rick, I am happy. I'm a lot happier when Rick's wife comes to the tournaments, but I'm happy. We all are. We all are. Uh, what, when do you think you, what, you said it took a lot older. So what? when do you think the switch happened for you? Uh. It's been in the last four to five years when I started realizing that you can't change everything. You can't do things that's out of your control. Just be happy, you know, uh, be a part of the things that you can contribute in and do what you can and let the loose ends drag, but find that happiness. What, what makes me happy? You know, if practicing nine hours a day is what makes me happy, that's what I'm going to do. If, you know, not talking about politics or whatever else and fishing makes me happy, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to try to remain happy because uh, that's the key to life success is are we enjoying it? If you was miserable every day on that stage, it would be a long work weekend for Dave Mercer. But there's a big piece of you that enjoy it and you're still happy, even though there's a lot of, and, and I know this, there's a lot of political BS that goes on behind that stage. It makes your job tough. But at the end of the day, you still love it. You just have to that out. Yeah, I love every bit of it, dude. I just ignore all the political stuff. What I'm trying to do. Getting the plate and mind and just grinning like, I ain't got my nine pounds, but hell, I'm happy. (laughs) All right, so second part of this, you get to ask our next guest a question. Any question, nothing's off the table. It can be fishing, non-fishing. Give me a question. What have you done to better professional fishing. It's a good one. Is your contribution been to the sport? That's a good one. All right. That's a good one. Um, the best thing about our conversation, dude, is like we started, this is a show about nothing, but it always becomes something. And it's always different. Like if you look at all the podcasts that you've done with me now, I love doing them with you, but everyone's different. Like some of them are pure hilarity. 
this one I almost cried a few times. I mean, it, it's like an emotional roller coaster, but but above all else, is. it's real. Is that not what life is? An emotional, yeah. uh, uh, it'd be a, a roller coaster, emotional roller coaster from uh, raising a family to dealing with world issues, whatever you do, it's an emotional roller coaster. So we we just ride it. We just hold our hands up like, here we go, you know. So I, I try to I try to see myself going through life doing that, you know, and not putting your head down going, oh, God, we're going to die. We're going to die because it's just too easy to look at the world and say how bad it is. And so many anglers do it. But trust me, we could be in a lot worse place than we are fishing right now. It ain't great. And, and the economy's going backwards a little bit, but it could be worse. Way worse. We're in a good part of the world where we have to worry about how me and Rick talked about this, but how trivial the sport is. Like, wow, you you know you caught the five biggest bass today. <laughs> like, yeah. would you really just like the fact that we get stressed out about that is pretty good because there's a lot of people with a lot worse things going we on. We should emotionally celebrate it when we are successful, but we also should celebrate the facts that, that we're still there doing it and try not to let it become something we worship, you know, that that fishing is our worship, that that's all we want to do is you know, I think that's what I'm balancing is love it, go 100% into it. But when you step away from it, I still have a life, you know, of some level doing something else. Dude, my life's better because you're part of it. And I thank you for doing I will this. I see you at the classic and I'm hoping that you have me on. I know they're going to have you doing something. So well, I'm going to see you before the classic. Yeah. I'm going to win the, those two tournaments. That's we got two small club tournaments. out. <laughs> plan on winning i figure if i'm gonna win my first one i already just win it with like 131 pounds or something you know there's something stupid where they can't say anything else about it you know i'm all for it i'm all for it i'd love to see it happen and i, I know win. it will happen i win you and i'll both go out on the dock at toledo and do the polar plunge in our underwear how about that that's a bet deal if you yeah. win we will 100 percent do that um people may no not judge the water's gonna be cold <laughs> Oh, I feel the cold right now. Baby, but as always, it's fun to be on. And anytime, Dave, uh, you want me to come on, let me go. Just let me know. You're always cool about it. You texted me a few weeks ago and I was hunting. He said, bro, can we do the podcast? I totally. And I said, he always checks way out front. You always make it easy. She gets it set up. So I enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing everybody at uh, Toledo and Fort. And the people who can't come there, you want to come to the classic, come see us. I'll be at the uh, AFCO booth. Uh, I mean, I'll be everywhere over at the Rapala booth, Toyota. I'll be, I might even be in the janitor's closet for it. So I don't know. I don't think you'll be there. Well, if he's got a sip of something to sip on, I might, you know, <laughs> that's why I find well, you in there. I'll, I'll probably be there before video. you <laughs> get out of here. Swindle. Get out of here. This is you my know. stash. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, man. Tell the family we said hello. Same to you, brother. The one and only Gerald Swindle. See you guys. There you have it, Gerald Swindle, and I thank him for his very open, honest, and raw conversation. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff that makes us socially cool. Um, and hey, if you want to thank G, make sure to check out his PMA line of clothing, his slackliner line, all the things that Swindle's got going on, all good stuff. And um, while I'm telling you to check out things, make sure to check out Facts Sufficient, the show this week. We're on Outdoor Channel, of course, as we always are, and Sportsnet 360 in Canada, as well as the World Fishing Network. So make sure to check that out. This week's show, 
I'm throwing the Swamp Lord, a frog show. So um, those are always popular. But speaking of always popular, a guy who never goes out of style. Bob Cobb, take it away. Enjoy being, and we'll see you next week. Now, Bob Cobb, take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?